Hello everyone, can you hear us okay? Alright, wow, this is a great crowd, the pre-lunch crowd at that. So thank you guys for uh, not cutting out early to get to Zio's and joining us for our session. Uh, well, uh, we're really excited to get to share some of the ideas with you that you have uh, come to hear about, uh, particularly uh, talking about this concept of maker spaces and how partnerships can be formed between libraries, school library spaces, uh, and that uh, the maker movement that is growing so prevalently in our in our schools and in education today. So um, I'm going to let uh, Dr. Sharber take introduction and I move around a lot so if you I don't want to be behind the mic so if you can't hear me just shout out that you can't hear me in the back or whatever my name is Shelly Sharber and I teach the library media uh, program at East Central University um, I know that I have some students or former students in here and I love seeing you guys um, I was a former librarian at a K through 8 school or pre-K through 8 school and um, when I came to the university, one of the things I've noticed is that it's hard to stay with the trends because I'm out of the environment, but I want to be in the environment. And so one of the things that I started doing was Twitter. I love Twitter. If you don't use it, that's okay, but I highly recommend it. But last year about this time, I was um, going through my Twitter feeds and noticing a trend. There was a lot of information coming in about coding and STEM activities and STEAM activities, and some of the stuff reminded me of things that I saw when I was in high school that had to do with making things that might have been done in the FFA or the ad shop or the wood shop or the fax room. And I got to questioning, why are we seeing these? And aren't they doing these in the classroom anymore? I started talking to some of my fellow educators that are um, still in public school, and the answer was no. There wasn't a lot of creativity in the classrooms because they were concentrating mostly on test prep. So I thought, well, that's really sad. But I also saw that there were starting to um, be articles about using this maker movement with libraries. And I scratched my head and thought, can this even work? Is this a doable thing? And so I started collecting information, and um, I talked to Dr. Jones, who introduced me to some very high-tech STEM-type projects, but then also some of the STEAM-type projects. So, lo and behold, I said, we're going to talk about this at OTA and Cycle Media next year, and that's what we've done. Great. Well, in a quick introduction of... Of myself, uh, so I'm uh, Mark Jones. I uh, coordinate our educational technology uh, master's program uh, at ECU, which shameless plug is now fully online, so you don't have to come to Ada. Do I have any uh, ed tech folks in here? Mm -hmm. A couple. All right, awesome. And how many are with our uh, library media? Awesome. Well represented. All right. Now you just identified yourself for being included in the session here. <laughs> No, um, but we've been uh, having a, a great experience and uh, a partner effort because our programs are both online, uh, so we have to be pretty strategic how we go about the delivery of our courses and organizi organizing our programs. Um, but I've got a long history of partnering my roles in some way or another with educational technology with 
school librarians. Um, so my background, just to tell you briefly, I started out as a, a high school science teacher, very rural schools, which meant you pretty much taught every science subject. There was a one-person science department. Any one-person departments in here? Yay. I know how it is. So um, when I moved into a technology director role, um, my office was adjacent to the high school library, so um, that was just a natural partnership to me, that working together between educational technology and school library, I never even thought of it not being such a close relationship. So as we've started talking now that I'm in this role and work a lot with Dr. Sharber, um, it just seems like a natural fit to see how school libraries and the school librarian can support and champion these kinds of uh, innovative uh, learning strategies and help classroom teachers and technology directors, technology coaches, school administrators, everyone see the big picture because there, and a lot of you are librarians, sometimes you feel like the glue that's holding your school uh, together in a lot of ways because you're able to connect all the dots that need to be connected. Okay, so what is Maker Education? I'm just going to give you a little brief introduction if you're not familiar. Um, it's a movement of creative, self-directed innovation encompassing low-tech and high-tech activities within the library classroom. I think that's one of the things that we want to remember. It's not just high tech, it's not just low tech, but it can be both a combination, one or the other. And we, we added a, a short piece of animation to this to try to emphasize here's what we think we're still seeing a really heavy focus on. If we are talking about um, our typical levels of Bloom's taxonomy, because what would we call this? Starts with a T. Test prep, would we agree? We're pretty much looking at test prep. Whereas we know that innovative learning strategies or experiences like maker learning is heavily focusing on these upper levels of blooms just naturally. But then there's that concern about what about down here because they've got to be ready for taking high stakes tests. But the honest truth is when it's done well, they're coming up with that along with engaging those higher levels of blooms through these very deep and meaningful learning experiences. We just have to be strategic about how we're structuring these learning experiences so that we are focusing on core curricular concepts as they're tinkering and making and creating. So. So what are the benefits of maker education? I think we all have to think about what does this tie back to as far as standards. Of course, this goes back to 21st century standards. They um, are doing the same skills, dispositions, responsibilities that are um, stressed in the AASL 21st century standards. And if you um, notice the four C's of creativity, collaboration, communication, critical thinking, these are all involved in um, maker ed. So they make rather than just use. They apply digital and manual skills, and then they create items to address a need. And there's a purpose. And some of you that have been looking into the makerspace concept and learning through making may have seen other places talk about it's a movement from consumption, consumption to creation. Anyone seen that phrase in some of the literature? Yes. So what is a makerspace? 
It's a place where young people have an opportunity to explore their own interests, so it's self-directed. They learn to use tools and materials, and they develop creative projects. So these are your hackers, your customizers, your problem solvers, your tinkerers, and your ideal dreamers. So can a library and makerspace coexist? And that's really what I wanted to find out. Can, can these two different, what seems to be very different things, um, collide and be very productive. So how, how can a library be a makerspace? It's a library. Um, but a couple of pieces of information I found that I thought was good. One is it opens the library to students who want to acquire, use, and share information in ways other than book discussions and research. So it opens it up. You're using the resources, but for maybe a different purpose. Libraries facilitate um, constructing knowledge through access to information, and the makerspaces do it through constructing knowledge through manipulation. So we're still constructing knowledge. It's still our primary purpose. So as we move into some examples uh, pretty soon uh, in this session, uh, I'd be curious to know just right now, how many of you are working on incorporating maker spaces in your libraries. So quite a few of you. Fantastic. So I, I just took a photographic snapshot of everybody to ask your specific examples here in a minute. No, because I think that's going to be a great out, uh, outcome and benefit of so many people are trying to work in this area to be sharing back and forth collaboratively to see what's working and what's not working. So we as librarians, I'm a white person, and I want to know why should I get involved as a librarian. I'm not a classroom teacher anymore, or maybe, how can I do this all on my own? I'm still a librarian. I have all of the responsibilities that go with that work. But we're supposed to be proactive. That's one of our major roles, and in providing services. If we are going to have them use the library, we have to promote the library, and that's one way to do that is to be proactive and anticipating the service before it's needed. So what are the needs of our users? And librarians serve as, power, as powerful change agents. I think that's one of the things that I stress in my program a lot. We need to go in and be change agents. And status quo may work if it's wonderful, but if it's not, then don't be afraid to change. Uh, the other thing is the library is still a library, but it makes it relevant. And how many times have you heard that the library is not relevant to the needs of the users, especially at your secondary level? So that's, to me, those were good purposes of why I should get involved. You'll notice a couple of uh, reference here are talking about uh, a book by Fleming. Have any of you seen this handy little resource? It's a very short, brief, very good, chock full of useful information. Uh, Worlds of Making by Laura Fleming. Uh, one of the resources, we'll share several other resources later on, but um, it's one you may want to consider picking up to help you with ideas for your school makerspace. Okay. So I don't know about you, but I'm not real creative. My hands are good for holding a fork and a pencil, and that's just about it. But I know people who are really good. My dad's an expert tinkerer. My husband's super builder. He can see like Superman. He builds everything. But um, we need to bring in our stakeholders, who are community members who can help us to become, who are the experts. So we can use community members, parents, friends, family. And um, there's actually a website, the Tinkerers, um, tinkering at exploratorium.edu. They have a whole page of people who 
are creative and they'll come. Now, I don't know what the fee is for that, but there is a resource for you. And then um, don't be afraid for the students to be the leaders in what is happening in the major space, that they can learn and share that with their peers. So let me ask you all, what kind of information channels are you relying on to help get ideas for your maker spaces and your maker activities? Social media or uh, other online resources or communities? Blogs, other teachers' blogs, Twitter. Okay, so could you share off the top of your head, uh, what kind of uh, Twitter hashtags are you keeping track of to find out ideas for this Hashtag kind of topic? Yeah. That's a good one. Maker. Hashtag Makerspace. There's a website called makeitatyourlibrary.org that has a lot of, um, they're more low-tech. Okay. Type of make, make it at your library? Make it at your library.org. Excellent. So, hashtag makerspace. There was another one, Tinker. Somebody mentioned Instructables. Instructables are great. Set up so that the kids can do them independently. Because that site provides those kind of how to guides. Yeah, they have printed instructions for projects. There's actually a library maker chat. Did everybody catch that? Library maker chat? Okay. Is that a website or is it a hashtag? It's a hashtag. Okay. Are any of you following any um, collaborative sessions, web uh, webinar format, maybe through EdWeb or, or other um, other sites? Uh, <coughs> what, what do you use? Okay. Where uh, kind of an online community of, of people that are working at that conference. Oh, so it's actual uh, class that's being. Uh, I see. Okay. And I'm sure several of you have heard of the the MOOC concept, multi, uh, massive open online course. Um, I'm seeing several come up on school uh, technology topics, so uh, keep an eye out there, maybe a, a MOOC, uh, focus on makerspaces uh, in the near future. You had an idea? The Instructables, is that a website? Or that yes, a so Instructables is a website. It's so kind of just... like Pinterest, you can search for different projects within their website. Yeah, and it's really cool. Pinterest, it looks a good site too, there's a Renovated Learning website? It's a website, but it's also a facility in Colorado. They send out newsletters that you can through an RSS feed that you can subscribe to. Okay. See why haven't you put librarians together? They are just a resource. Machine. <laughs> can, you, can you elaborate on MOOC? I've never heard of that. So a MOOC, uh, we're seeing uh, several universities uh, host these. They're basically... Uh, courses like a university level course totally online but it's just open anybody can jump in it uh, and they're free uh, typically um, most are not necessarily for college credit but there's been a lot of discussion about will this become a form of earning college credit and, and a lot of university administrators are freaking out about how this is threatening our our financial model and 
what does this mean? The sky is falling. Yeah. So, mooks are kind of an interesting animal right now. Yes, ma'am. Okay. That's one of the things I I found in um, the research that I was doing. A lot of public libraries are are doing maker spaces. But don't bring it to your library. And so that's even more reasonable. I don't know if any of you all are within the um, Eastern Oklahoma County um, tech area in their. Vocational, yeah, vocational technology. They are making a mobile makerspace bus, and it is green, and they're going to have everything on it to come to your school. Is that NTC? That's EOC. Oh, EOC. EOC, Eastern Oklahoma. Uh, Choctaw? The yes. Okay. Yes, and it's fabulous. That's awesome. And then Tulsa Harvesty Center has a little lab lab that's just launched. And um, it has three printers. Any, any maker kind of thing that you can imagine can come to your school and they have an educational um, program where people will give the presentations, do a work with you to teach your kids how to use the equipment. That's excellent. Uh, if you were to Google Fab Lab Tulsa, it'll come up and um, it's it was funded by by a charity organization, so the costs are literally low. This summer, they're going to do a, a upcoming summer, they're going to do a tour of 18 counties around Tulsa that all have water systems try to get the equipment in people's hands. So, Fabla Tulsa has a mobile lab that's up and running. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, uh, Jim? There's also a fab lab at Rose State. Rose State is in this area. Awesome. And another shameless plug, we are working on equipping our uh, kind of makerspace uh, professional development uh, center training site, if you will. We just finished remodeling our education building at East Central. We just moved back in um, a few weeks ago, right before the fall semester started. And one of the exciting spaces we now have is a professional development uh, center space. And a major portion of that is focused on uh, maker space training, uh, mobile learning strategies, and things like that. Uh, how many of you were able to attend our Camp Tech Terra workshop we did this summer? That was great. Um, several of you came. Thanks, guys. That was kind of our big inaugural event back in the back into the building before it was really even ready. We were like walking around construction workers to get in there. Like, Please just let us get in there because it's going to be great and had a great turnout. Uh, brought in Susan Wells uh, who has uh, created the Camp Tech Terra model, and if you're not familiar with that, you may want to just uh, do a search for that. Um, it's a great program that can be implemented um, at your school site because it's. She does it as a program where um, you know kids will do it kind of in a camp format or after school or summer program. Uh, but then another component, what we brought her in for, was the professional development side in training teachers to replicate that Camp Tech Terra model. Um, in your own schools. And a great thing about Camp Tech Terra is that it partners um, you know, maker learning and mobile learning with outdoor learning. So it's also incorporating the uh, you know nature and outdoors with some of these other topics. Did somebody over here have a question? I went to a steam maker camp. Steam maker, this, yes. This summer at Stillwater Boat mm-hmm. with Ginger Llewellyn from ESDAC. Uh-huh. From Kansas? Chance to do that, 
you have to bring kids with you. Uh-huh. It's not just the teachers figuring. You have to bring kids, and if you have a chance to do that, I highly recommend it. Yeah, I've heard great things about that uh, training. So it, it was Ginger Llewellyn, I think, is her name, and she is awesome. It's still, still water. It was at the Stillwater Boat. I can't remember the name. Was it Ginger Lumen? Lumen. Yeah, yeah. there you go. She has more. I just pulled it up on Twitter. Yeah. But she she is awesome, and it's professional development. But your kids how to treat your kids while they're doing it, and then your kids can go back and be ambassadors for the rest of the school. So hopefully, a key takeaway from this session, if nothing else, um, in the context of what we're talking about with this slide is that you don't have to feel like you are an expert maker yourself. All you need is to recognize the value and benefits of this, these kind of learning experiences uh, for our students and be willing to do what you do best. The School Librarians is curate resources, human or otherwise. And uh, we've just had a plethora I got to use that word in the session. <laughs> Bonus points. A plethora of examples uh, across all of us already. So I, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, maybe we need a, a unique hashtag to come out of this, everyone, to continue these conversations because you're all coming across great resources and examples to um, to make these kinds of spaces happen in your school library. Conversation starts. Absolutely. You're, the, you're actually the experts on it already. <laughs> Okay, so the formats, and we've already heard, I, I didn't know about the buses, or I would have put them up there. And in, in my research, I kept hearing about uh, ways to make this work for you. You don't have to follow a certain format. There's so many ways that you can incorporate a maker space. And some of the ideas were maker fairs, uh, STEM or STEM classes, genius hour, maker camps. Uh, mobile maker labs or stations. Uh, there's a company, and I can't remember the name, uh, Dr. Jones, of that company that has the mobile parts. Copernicus. Has anybody Copernicus. used Copernicus products? C, uh, I'd have to C get the spelling. Is, is Copern- we'll you know, the scientist. C O P Yes. That's right. But um, so you could actually have a cart in your library that um, is circulated. So that's an idea. If you don't have space in your library, and maybe just to store it, and then it builds off to someone else who has more space or is willing to do it with a um, An interesting article that just came across is making at the mall. There is a um, in Massachusetts. There's actually a store that's called Hatch. It is sponsored by the public library, and people come in for a small fee they make. Um, I thought it was awesome. I thought what a great idea. Um, the other thing that I saw that came across just a couple of days ago on Twitter was a literacy maker space, and they were putting together books and making and, and taking literature and doing different things with it. And that would be a really super easy item. So it's something I hadn't thought of before. I thought about art, I thought about science, I thought about technology, but I never thought about combining literature except for the fact that it was a resource. But what about making books or bookmarks or posters, those kinds of things? And, and 
uh, breaking news, this is just in, mm-hmm. thanks to Kathy Benz, we have a hashtag now for oh, you guys yay. to follow and post and share. So, Kathy, what, what's our hashtag? Hashtag Oak Club Makerspace. Oak Club Oak Makerspace. Club. <laughs> so, make note of that and I'll... Look, we're being creative right now. Be excited, yeah. It's, it's dynamic uh, online community forming in front of our eyes. Um, I just threw out some of my low-tech maker ideas, some of the things that I have seen students uh, be excited about, or ideas that I have seen through, like, Agri Classroom. Um, they have amazing um, lot with their um, curriculum. But handcrafts, I, I was thinking of duct tape projects, rubber band art, loop yarn projects. Ever make those hot holders? Out of the wood yarn. Loved them when I was a kid. We also used to take hangers, and uh, there was like a crochet that you went around the hangers, and then when you hung clothes up, they were just mm-hmm. thicker and nicer, cushier. So, popsicle crafts. Um, we just got a grant at the university, what me is another uh, professor, and they are doing uh, popsicle bridges. And it's tied with a um, with a book, and I'm not sure the name of it. But they're testing the endurance of the um, bridge that's been made by the students with popsicles. That was a cool project. So carving, um, sewing, knitting, crocheting, drawing, sculpting, knot tying. How about tying a tie? Um, beading, bicycle repair. There was a whole mess um, that I read about that. A guy brought in his bicycle as what he did as a hobby, and then he taught students how to bring their chain and all that kind of stuff. Um, food activities, um, probably in your library you have something that's like wheat to bread or from peanuts to peanut butter, um, something like that. Got to be careful with peanuts, but um, applesauce, ice cream butter. And then deconstruction stations. Have y'all seen these where they donate old pieces of technology and then the students work to take it apart? I think that's really cool. On those, um, I thought you know, life easy and you have to be careful with some of those things that you take apart because yes. some of them have mercury and such inside yeah. of it that you need to be careful. Way before you take something apart, you need to investigate what is there. Because I was, I would go to science and see my fastest people all work through lunch and they get tired. It's a good point. And yeah. that's not a big concern. I also remember they'll be using tools. So right. know, there's probably some um, safety and instruction. And yeah. So I was thinking of getting TV, a TV donated, but you can't do the old TVs because of the glass and something else about computer monitors uh, and, and TVs, even if they've been unplugged for a long, long time, they still hold an electrical charge in their capacitor and they can probably somebody get the hold of it. Reach in there with a screwdriver and, oh, hey, don't go, don't get your perm. You just one of the last things that I put down was a fabrication station. We had a teacher that taught first and second grade loop and she had a fabrication station in her classroom. And she just asked for clean donated cardboard boxes, cereal boxes, Kleenex boxes, little toilet paper things, those kinds of things. And it was amazing what those little seven-year-old students would build, and then they would come and tell you what they were doing out of it. It was not recognizable by me, but they had plans. And I remember how um, excited they were just to build something like that. And that's what um, a fabrication station can be. So... As a school librarian or a teacher that gets this and you're trying to champion the cause and convince 
other teachers, convince administrators that real, deep, meaningful learning is happening, even though it looks like just random play and toying with stuff. Um, as you're looking at these kinds of items to be working with, I, I just want to give a couple of quick examples um, that, that I've experienced myself and, and didn't even plan to share this, but it just came to mind as we were talking about this. Oh yeah, we did that and that's this. Sometimes you're doing this and it's <coughs> maker space and maker learning and you just didn't even think you could call it that because um, you didn't realize that is what you're doing. Uh, a few years back, I had an opportunity to go um, to Kennedy Space Center and do a workshop, some professional development with NASA uh, distance learning educators. Did any of you use the um, program where you can do video conferencing with the NASA educators and they would come in and talk to your students by video conference and everything? Uh, so yeah, we were able to go and, and do some uh, training with them. And I had this whole presentation kind of set up what we were going to do and a workshop on uh, engaging learning. Uh, but, but in the end realizing, well, the training about engaging learning wasn't all, all that engaging. But the first day that we were there, um, we had an opportunity to do a tour of Kennedy Space Center, kind of the, not typically the tourist tour because we were there with NASA people. So it's kind of neat. Got to see some things that the typical tourist doesn't see. But one of the things that stood out to me the most was we were um, seeing, and, and at that time, uh, Discovery was on the launch pad. We thought we were going to get to see a, a night launch, but you know, weather, how things go. It was canceled. But something that stood out to the movie the most is that evening before uh, going to bed, I was going back through pictures I had taken, and I saw something that stood out in the conversation was how they had this very elaborate escape system. If something went wrong on the launch pad, they had like this way of getting on the zip line flying down to safety and then they had these bunkers they would get in these would basically look like um, armored vehicles and fly into these bunkers because if what's right on the launch pad is about to explode they need some way of getting to a safe space so it was just fascinating how this intricate system and process went for them to try to um, get away from the shuttle and to safety so just out of the blue, turned the entire workshop the next day on his head and went in and scavenged everything we could find in this little training room and gathered a whole lot of stuff like this and then had the whole workshop based around them in groups coming up with an idea of a escape system and they had to have a little plastic cup with grapes in it safely get from up in the air to the ground safely and it was just really neat. And they still learned the concepts we needed them to learn from the workshop, but they were very engaged and very involved and were creating things that all were totally different from each other. But in the end, we were all getting to something meaningful from a curricular standpoint. But as we were talking earlier, let me go ahead and jump back. In our, what is that, a taupe color box? Uh, our... our Brownish box here. These these critical 21st century skills that we need to be developing in students, like creativity and collaboration, communication, and critical thinking. That's the kinds of activities that pull in developing those kinds of skills. Because it's so easy to let them off the hook because they say, I just work better by myself. Tough. This is collaborative. Because as I heard someone say at a conference uh, a couple years ago in a keynote, um, his name... Uh, slips in my mind at the moment, but he said, you know, people get hired because they have degrees, but they get fired because they can't work with people. 
So what good does it do our students to not help them develop the skills whether they like it or not? So making inherently is, uh, and again, I can't remember where this was stated, but um, it's digital, it's physical, and it's social, depending on how much tech you're using or not using. So you, typically we see elements of those three types of activities uh, in maker learning. So um, the other example I won't go into, but it was involved, uh, it involved working with uh, second grade students using miscellaneous items from their house, you know, Kleenex boxes, paper towel tubes and whatnot, uh, creating prototype uh, spacecraft rovers. And this is right around the time that Curiosity had landed successfully on Mars. It was awesome. When they, NASA put out this amazing <laughs> video, highlights of it, uh, an animation, everything that went with it. It was like Hollywood quality. So using that as an introdu introduction to them working on creating some kind of prototype rover, they learned a whole lot of science concepts uh, and communication, uh, practice communication skills and critical thinking, problem solving, all woven into a single activity that really wouldn't have fit in a typical, okay, here's a topic I told you about, now do this worksheet, we'll have a multiple choice test in a couple of days. So, <laughs> now, kind of what I like to talk about here. So this is a little bit of our higher tech examples of maker learning. Um, one example right off the top is uh, robotics. How many of you in your schools are doing something with robotics? A few of you? Okay, what kind of programs or platforms are you using? The science teacher does it after school, and they, I mean, they, they have a robotics competition. Okay. She'd love to get into 3D printing, but hasn't gotten mm -hmm. there yet. Um, what, what Our uh, computer teacher does the Mindstorm with a robotics class, and then our lower school does some uh, Sphero coding mm -hmm. programming. Sphero? No, are they doing the first Lego League or FRC or anything with you know, the we did that for a year and then we saw how um, some some teams are highly coached and so we said let's just do our own. You just did it as yeah, a learning so we, experience. They, they focus more on science and Olympiad, yeah. but they, they, we still have the board from our Lego experience so he just reuses that year after year. Yeah, yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, somebody else had an example? Well, we have the Lego Mindstorms. The, the Mindstorms? Yeah, great platform, uh, but in the end, oh, oh somebody else? We have the Ozobots, and then our technology department also does robotics. I'm not sure what she does, but she's actually going to do something with robotics. Well, I brought a few uh, of our uh, Finch robots. Have any of you seen the Finch robots? Sure. The great thing about the Finch robot is um, you don't have to worry about batteries or charging or anything like that. It just connects with the USB cable to uh, the computer. It, it does require an actual uh, computer, laptop, or Chromebook. They're not supported on Chromebooks. Uh, it doesn't work right now with um, with a tablet uh, through a wireless. That I know of. Uh, I don't know if they're working on that. The great thing about this platform is it's all kind of self-contained. So they're able to focus um, pretty directly on learning the programming skills and incorporating um, the features of the Finch robot in the programming that they're doing. So uh, it has wheels, so it has motors that you can control. Yeah, each wheel can be operated independently. It has uh, a light in the beak that's RGB. So you have all different kinds of colors that you can combine together with the way that you can 
um, program what color of beak it's showing. It has a speaker, so you can make it play different sounds. And that sounds very simplistic uh, at the surface level, but then when you realize that you could get students all the way into controlling the megahertz of the no noise that's being played, uh, as we've seen kids get their hands on this, they are making it play songs and making it dance. And so we immediately see these cross-curricular um, activities form out of a coding robot activity. So, which is kind of a segue into the session that'll be in this room right after lunch, all about how do we take STEM activities like this and branch them out into more integrated cross-curricular type activities. Uh, so the Finnish robot is something we've been very pleased with. Um, there is a school loan program, and that's how we got started with Pitch Robot, is we were awarded that last spring. Um, we received 40 of these for a couple of months. And try them out. We wound up doing activities with several schools. <coughs> I think by the end, uh, nearly 700 kids had an experience with Pitch Robot. So and just went crazy with what it. What grade level do you think this would be used for? Uh, a yeah. They actually took them to um, a kindergarten class. Yeah, we had kids as young as uh, uh, kindergarten, pre-K and kindergarten were learning about programming robots uh, because it's all about the programming interface and a program like Snap. And many of you use Snap. Uh, it's web-based, and when you load it as the version that works with the Finch, it loads in blocks specific to the Finch. So it's very block-based. All they have to do, and it's really cool that they have an interactive board to work with, you can actually drag these blocks and build a, a, a chain of commands, and then hit run, and they get to see in real life the robot respond to their program. And they just love it. It's amazing to see how that develops. And if you go to finchrobot.com, there's a tab that says software, and it lists all the different kinds of programming languages you can use. So that's the amazing thing about this platform, and others that are similar to it uh, work, work in the same way. Um, you can see kids as young as you know four and five working with this, but it's also used by university level computer science majors. They're learning you know C programming, Java, Python, all those really advanced programming languages. So very flexible uh, in who can benefit from it. So a couple of examples of 3D modeling. Have any of you had a chance to practice this? Anybody in my picture 13? I had some people that were you know, pulling their hair out because. Boy, that z-axis is a kicker. You're not used to working in a three-dimensional space in a program, and you can kind of see an example of that here. Uh, this is a free app that runs on the iPad. I don't know if they have an Android version. Do they not have Android? It's called Tinker Play. It's really cool because they have a whole um, palette of different shapes and objects to, to build a custom uh, design model that then will create what you envision on a screen into real life. Uh, I call this Thunder Man, after kind of the OKC Thunder, orange and blue, and he's, you know, saving the day. But uh, this was kind of neat to work with. Of course, we have all kinds of multimedia authoring tools. Are any of you using digital storytelling? I know uh, we've got several projects that have been working with that. Um, the uh, Makey Makey tools, I mean, you tried that. What kind of things have you seen kids do with Mickey Mickey? We used it to um, create detailed controllers for video games that I have. 
Um, well, I'm an art teacher, and I use it to uh, make carbon musical models. Okay. While you're drawing, and I, you have to wet the surface to, to uh, be able to use the, the socket with it. Um, but you bring light shows to the back of Marco, and you're drawing with that, and then creating um, like a art experience. And really? the, the, the other thing I'm doing this year um, is I'm doing a weaving project, and I'm having the kids weave conductive material into the project, oh, and then connecting it to the and then having uh, an experience with that. So if you're not familiar with Makey Makey, it is basically an input device creator. Uh, I've seen some of the examples you can look online. They've got one that's a, a bit banana piano because you connect these probes to objects and it then sends input signals to the computer or whatever you've connected the uh, Makey Makey to. Um, the, uh, the other example I've seen, uh, there's one where there were buckets of water and each bucket was um, a different button on the screen, so they were doing like Dance Dance Revolution uh, with these sopping in different buckets of water. And stuff. So it's, it's really neat. Uh, and then, of course, Little Bits. Have any of you used these uh, for electronics? Tinkering with electronics and putting together the pieces uh, in a way that's very user-friendly, and the, the kids get to learn about all the things there. So I know we're probably running close on time. What time does this end? So just a few minutes left, but to end on a very important point about what it takes to really make this come together, and um, especially as a school library becoming a center of this kind of maker maker learning, uh, we've shared a few uh, pictures. Some of you might see yourself uh, from the Camp Dactera workshop we did in the summer, just showing how a space becomes an area even for teachers to come in and get their hands on some of these things and become more comfortable with them, get inspired by what kinds of learning this can connect to in their own content areas. But also, you'll see so much collaboration here. This is the kind of space where you can see interdisciplinary projects come to life or, or, or visions be captured and think, you know what, you guys are working on this in math and we're working on this in English and you're doing this in social studies. Well, let's just connect the dots here and get them building something and making and creating. And they're going to learn about all these things simultaneously. So, oh, yes, ma'am. Do you have any ideas on funding sources for any of this? We were just talking about crowd funding. So I know Donors Choose is something a lot of schools are using. Any Donors Choose projects successfully funded here? A few of you. Um, uh, school foundations are a great resource to if you have one or uh, other. Uh, you know, grants or uh, Kathy, you had a um, If you will Google makerspace grants, a lot of times the larger corporations have like the chemistry and um, you know science areas will have grants. The corporations will fund that. And I just got a grant from the Cox Foundation for $6,000 to make a makerspace wow. in our classroom. Wow. Fantastic. Congratulations. Wow. You can, there, it's out there, definitely, to do. And so, but because yeah. I just thought I was able to do it where I was able to address the whole school sure. with only a $6,000 grant, which you can do a whole school initiative for up to 10000 So I tried to make it where it was very appealing. But to get 3D printers, we ordered two 3D printers and... Um, green screen and we were Legos and making Makey Makey cool. and some different things. I don't know what I'm doing with it just yet. But the Cox Innovation and Education Grant, it's due 
um, usually the first of April, and then they let you know in September. Yeah. So. And you don't have to be real specific on what you're going to do with them? Well, I... Right. I mean, I had to explain to them. I did research on the maker movement and explained how that was going to work. And, like, I got tools from Lowe's and some different stuff so that they... And I explained how the kids were going to go through stations and, of course, reference meteorology with the green screen. And so, okay. anyway, I had called them to find out who actually reads their grants. Mm -hmm. And they were like, well, people from all levels of cops. So it might be a cable installer. It also might be... And so I, I made it for that purpose. Like, so it would be easier to read and not just educational education. One benefit from um, putting the librarian in that grant component is when the reader reads the application, they see that it's going to apply to a large number of people. And that is more appealing than just you know one classroom when the whole school can benefit or a population of the whole school can benefit. That's a good point. So we've, we've got a few uh, images of, of what I think are pretty good resources. Dr. Sherber is sharing uh, good resources here. There's another slide. We'll, we'll flip back and forth. But in the interest of time, we know several of you are needing to get to uh, your next thing. So uh, we'll just leave this on the screen. We'll kind of hang out here for a minute uh, and see if you have any other questions about anything. But thank you guys very much for coming. Enjoy the rest of your next conference. You're listening to Fuel for Educational Change Agents, an audio podcast channel including a variety of audio recordings by and recorded by Wesley Fryer, published for educators worldwide interested in free audio-based professional development. This is a supplementary podcast channel complementing Moving at the Speed of Creativity podcast, which typically includes longer and lightly edited or unedited audio recordings. Learn more and access these podcasts on audio.speedofcreativity.org. All content on this podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 United States license.